here it is on the screen for you, that we are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. We are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. This is who we want to be. And we developed this statement several years ago now, and we've had so much unity and excitement around that idea. And it became uh, the engine that kind of has driven our church the last five years in particular. It's why we uh, did some of the renovations that we did. We wanted our church to match our vision. It's why we've started the new ministries that we've started and offered the classes that we're offering. It's a really important thing to our church that we are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. And so you can kind of see the, the signage up on the wall here. If you want to know the outline of the next six weeks, it's those three and it's those three. But today's the introduction, and we're going to talk about what, what it means to, to be on this journey together. And we're just going to kind of dissect that statement a little bit about who we want to be and, and where we are going. So the first part of the statement is, put it on the screen for you, that we want to be a church that is growing. We want to be a growing church. Now, let me take a minute because everybody has an idea in their head of what that's going to mean and what that's going to look like. So let me define what I mean by that, that we want to see, when I say growing, I mean, we want to see more people, more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus because we believe Jesus changes everything. And so we want to see more people come into a life-changing relationship with him. So yes, we want to see growth in, in that sense. But a church, this is just my opinion, a church should never have as its primary goal, and this church, as long as I'm here, will never have as its primary goal a desire to be a large church to just be large for large sakes. That should never be the primary goal. The primary goal is we want to see more people, more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus because the objective to just be large is a really dangerous objective. Sometimes there's something lurking in the background that you may not even really see. Sometimes in some churches, there might be a desire for money or a desire for uh, power, a desire for fame to be well-known, a desire for community influence. And this is really important. The engine of growth, a, a desire for growth, should always be driven by a desire to see people come to Jesus and grow in their faith. It is a love for Jesus it is a love for people that is the engine for a desire for growth, that we want to, we love people so much that we want them to meet Jesus, right? That's the engine of the desire for growth. So yeah, we want to be a growing church in that sense. We want to see more and more people come into a relationship with Jesus because we believe it's life-changing. And there is, uh, there is some historical context for this desire to, to be a growing church. Let me show you how the book of Acts is described uh, in scripture. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I find that so interesting. The Lord added to their number daily. The Lord was bringing new people into the body. The Lord was uh, calling people into a life-changing relationship with him. And it begs the question, how did this happen? How did the Lord do this work? 
How did Jesus do this work of bringing new people into the body and bringing new people into faith in him? How did he accomplish this task? Well, I think when you read scripture, I think it becomes obvious that Jesus primarily works through people. So within that church family in, in, in the book of Acts, there were people that were being invited by their friends into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I think there were people that were being served by the church community and their lives were changed through that. I think there are people that heard what was happening in the church and just kind of were curious and came into the family that way. But when it comes to growth, we must remember, I think this scripture points us to this and it's so important, that when it comes to growth, inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, Jesus plays the dominant role. That he is ahead of us. That he is ahead of us, working in people's lives, drawing people to himself, and then he uses us to make the invitation. He uses us to serve them. He uses us to draw them even closer to him, but he is ahead of us. He is ahead of your invitation. He's ahead of your service. He's ahead of our efforts, and we want to rely on him. We want to follow his lead. So let me give you a little prayer that you can pray, all right? And uh, um, I found that in seasons of my life, I, pr I pray this more often. I, I wish I, I need to pray this every day, but here's the prayer. God, would you open a door today? God, would you open a door today? This prayer assumes that God is ahead of us. God, would you open a door today for me to share, to invite, and to serve? God, would you help me to be receptive to your leading and walk through open doors as you open them? So that's a simple prayer. God, I know you're ahead of me. I know you're working in people's lives. So would you stir me to invite? Would you stir me to serve? Would you stir me to, to, to make a difference in people's lives? I know you're at work in people's lives. Would you point me in that direction to love and serve and make a difference in, in people's lives? And it, is, uh, it presumes that God is at work in this whole thing, that he has somebody that he wants me to help, that he has somebody he wants me to serve. He has somebody that he wants me to invite. I just need to be open to what he is doing. So I think there's a much better way even to think about this whole growing aspect of our mission. There's a better way to think about it than how do we get big, right? That is the wrong question. And a lot of churches kind of grapple with that question. It is the wrong question. And here is a better way. It is presuming that God is at work. It is presuming that God is ahead of us. And here's the better question is how can we be ready? How can we be ready for whoever God wants to add to our church family. How can we be ready for whoever God, that God, we believe God is at work and he believe, we believe he is stirring us to serve, that he is stirring us to invite, he is stirring us to make a difference. And if God is at work and we believe that and we do, amen? All right, just making sure, right? I don't wanna be up here all by myself believing this, all right? All right, so yeah, if we believe that and we do, then it's like, God, how can we be ready for whatever you want to accomplish here at Northwest Christian Church. So let me throw out a scenario to you that I think is worth considering. It's said about the early church, and I'm not going to presume that God is going to do this. God's going to do what God's going to do. We just want to be ready for it. But you think about what the, what the text says about the early church, that God added to their number daily. Every day, God was adding to the numbers of the early church. So in that year, he added 365 people. I want you to imagine if that were to happen here. All right, God were to add in the next year 365 people. It begs the question, how could we possibly be ready for that? 
Do we have enough kids workers? Do we have enough greeters? Do we have enough small group leaders? And here's the thing, I don't know what God is gonna do here, I really don't, but is there a part I can play so that we can be ready, so we can be ready for whatever God wants to accomplish? Can I sign up to help in kids ministry? Can I sign up to lead a small group? Can I sign up to make coffee or greet and create a welcoming environment? What part does God want me to play as, I, as, I, as we prepare for whatever God wants to do here in the next couple of years? And I'm excited. I don't know what God's gonna do, but I'm excited about it, all right? And, and I think in some ways we're really uh, ready for it. If some of you have been around here, you know everything that's happened with, with phase one. We've talked about this a lot. So some of this is gonna be a little bit repetitive. Forgive me for that, but... Now is the time as a building campaign that we did over the last couple years to match our building with our vision. We said we want the building to work a little bit better for us and we want the building to be a little bit friendlier and we have some maintenance things that we wanna do. And so you all helped us for phase one. Uh, you all helped us raise a whole bunch of money um, and uh, on the renovation side of things, we ended up being able to pay cash for just about everything. We put in about 430,000 into the building. Uh, to renovate it and uh, help it match our vision and just create spaces um, that, that, that would uh, serve us a little bit better. And I think as you look around the building, I think we accomplished a lot of what we wanted to do uh, with phase one of now is the time, just creating a more welcoming space, having spaces work a little bit better for us. And now we're getting ready to enter into phase two. And you'll be hearing more about that as, uh, as the month progresses and how we're gonna do, what we're gonna do, how we're gonna raise the money, all that stuff. But anyway, I wanna take you back to the beginning of Now is the Time One. And that really started with two questions. Now is the Time One, this goes back probably five years. It started with two questions. And the first question was, should we stay at this property? All right, that was the first question ever that we wanted to answer about loving and serving our community. We said, should we stay here? And we invited all of you to pray. We invited you to fast. I think we were doing like Thursdays for a while where we would fast and pray and seek God. And through a variety of, of ways uh, um, that I'm not gonna get into right now, we felt that God was really clear that he wanted us to stay at this location. That he had a plan for us here, he had a purpose for us here, uh, that we were gonna love and, and serve our community from 1306 North Stanley. So we answered that question first. The second question we were trying to answer is, should we keep the old sanctuary? That if you walk through these doors and then you were able to walk through that wall, it's where our kids ministry currently meets. And we said that, that building had become kind of difficult to maintain and difficult to manage. And we said, would it be better if we just tore that building down? and, and kind of moved, moved away from that. And we brought some consultants in and one day they were walking through our building and we took them over there and it was the old floor still, it, it, uh, you know, had the stains on the ceiling still and everything. And we took them over there and they, they took one look at the space and they said, this would be a fantastic kids ministry space. We were like, really? And they're like, yeah, it would be fantastic. You'd be fools to tear this thing down. And they started to walk us through this vision of what it would look like to keep that building and to move our kids over there. Uh, 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 birth through fifth grade, eventually we want over there. That's phase two of the project. Uh, but for, and, until, uh, until then, we've just done some renovations over there, new flooring and stuff like that. And um, they helped walk us through what it could look like to have that be a kids ministry wing. And it was a fantastic idea. And listen, if you've been over there recently, you know that in that, in that we have a humongous space for our kids. Here's why I say that. 
when it comes to kids ministry space, we are ready for whatever God wants to do here. Our parking lot's gonna become an issue before that space becomes an issue. It is gigantic, all right? So we can welcome, we can probably welcome 100 kids or more into that space to teach them to love Jesus and to teach them to worship Jesus and to change their lives forever. So that's what I mean about part of this project has been, God, we don't know what you wanna do. We believe you wanna do something. We don't know what you wanna do, but we wanna be ready for whatever you wanna do. And part of phase one was getting ready for whatever God wants to do. And I'm telling you, over there, when it comes to the space, we're ready. Bring your grandkids, bring your children, bring your friends' children, right? Get permission first, but bring them, right? (laughs) Because we are ready. We are ready over there for whatever God wants to do. I'm telling you, the parking lot will become an issue first, right? Before we ever uh, lose lose out on the space that is over there. So that's all, and and now we're ready for phase two of that, to move nursery over there, uh, to move little kids over there, and just say, God, we're ready, right? We got one check-in for families, and as the parent of an eight-year-old and an almost two-year-old, one check-in would be awesome, right? Uh, walking into this building's a little bit chaotic. You know, you got Sam running around, Lila running opposite. We just need to check them into one space and then hand them to the nursery workers and children's workers, say a prayer for them and leave, all right? Um, <laughs> come into this space and worship, right? <laughs> Whatever's going on over there is going on over there, all right? So, um, so we're ready. Space-wise, we're ready. Now, do we need more workers? Of course we do. We need more volunteers. We need more greeters. Well, all of that's true. But part of now is the time has been getting ready for what God wants to do. All right, here's the second part of it is we want to be growing. We want to be a growing family. There's a lot of metaphors we could have chosen from the scriptures about what we wanted to be as a church, right? The church is described as a body. Uh, Sometimes it's described as a community. Sometimes it's described as an army. And when we were thinking through who do we want, how do we want to be described? We said, we want to be a growing, not army, right? Not community, we wanna be a growing family. We wanna, we wanna be a growing family. And there's scriptural basis for this as well. Let me show you John 1:12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God loves this family language. First John 3, one through two. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be, uh, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that what has appeared, uh, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And Galatians 6.10, this should sound familiar. We were just in Galatians for 12 weeks. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. Now listen, we know, and we talked about this at the time, we know that the idea of being a growing family, that family is a risky metaphor. We know that. Because some of you come from messed up families. 
And the idea of church being like a family uh, brings you to a PTSD moment of Aunt Judy yelling at Aunt Karen at Christmas time because the pies were overbaked, right? And uh, just you're like, I don't know, church is family, pass, right? And some of you have that experience, and I understand that. Here's what I know about you. Even if you come from a diseased family or a messed up family, here's what I know about you. You have a longing for family that God has placed inside of you. Here's the other thing I know. God gives us two opportunities for family. The, opportunity, uh, the first opportunity is the family that you were born into. There is nothing you can do about that. Your mama's your mama, your daddy's your daddy, right? There ain't nothing you can do about that. The family you were born into. But then he gives us a do-over and it is the family we create. And so as adults, whether it's uh, with a family we form with our spouse or just being a part of a church family, we, have the, uh, we get two opportunities for family, the one we're born into and the one we create. And so I wanna encourage you to create a great family as an adult, and I think there are two ways that churches like family. One is we are joined together by something greater than ourselves. That's how churches like family, is that we are joined together by something greater than ourselves, that almost every family is bonded together in some way. It might be a sports team that you all root for, right? We, were, we, we root for the Michigan State Spartans, and there was a time where our uh, son, he was probably like four or five at the time, he says, I'm gonna be different, and I'm gonna root for the University of Michigan. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not, all right? And there are a couple of things that I will lay down on. That is one of them. So boy, you're not doing that, right? And so you can root for Illinois. That's great. We live in Illinois. We root for Illinois. You can do it. You are not rooting for Michigan, right? And so, right, you're, we're, we're Spartans, right? So, um, and, and so some of, it, some of it is that. Some of it is a sense of history or memory uh, that, that you might all share together as, as a family. Some of it might be a tradition at Christmas or Thanksgiving. There are things that bind family together. You know what binds the family of God together? Mission, purpose, and Jesus. It is making his name great. It is worshiping him. It is coming to him. Jesus is what binds the church together. That sense of mission and purpose that he matters most. He is most important that we want to follow after him. Jesus brings the church together. This is what irritates me so much. I just heard another story about this a couple of weeks ago of a church going through a silly division over something like the color of the carpet. It's like, are you kidding me? To the people that were throwing a fit about that, this other church that I heard about, a friend was texting me the issue. It's like, you are sacrificing mission. You are sacrificing unity. You are sacrificing Jesus on the altar of carpet. Don't do that, right? And, and so that, that Jesus and his name is more important and that's what binds the church together. So that's the first way that churches like family. We're joined together by something bigger than ourselves. Here's the other thing. We don't always get along, but that doesn't stop us from loving each other. And is there a better definition of family than that? Right, we don't always get along, we don't, but we are called to love each other no matter what. And if you want a biblical context for this, uh, read through the book of 1 Corinthians. The first 10 to 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is like laying the smack down to this church in Corinth over all of their issues and all of their disunity. He's like, you're fighting about this. You're fighting about that. You're fighting about the other thing. They were arguing about everything. They were arguing about which apostle they liked better at one point. They were arguing about baptism. 
They were arguing about spiritual gifts. They were arguing about everything. And then at kind of the climax of the book, Paul comes to 1 Corinthians 13. And here's what he says. You've heard this before if you've ever been to a wedding, but this was actually proclaimed in a church context. I use it for weddings too. It's a great text, but it it was for the church originally. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully know, uh, known. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So what is Paul's point? After 12 chapters of you don't agree on this, you don't agree on this, you don't agree on this, Paul says, even when we disagree, we are called always, always, always to love each other. You have to teach your kids this lesson. Every kid will go through a phase, every kid will, when they don't get what they want and they will act like the devil, right? (laughs) They don't get what they want and they will yell at you, they will tell you, some kids, they'll tell you they hate you, Right, and they'll go through all the, and you have to teach them this lesson that, hey, they'll, they'll hit people, right? I've seen kids bite, right? I saw a kid try to bite me one time. So you have to teach kids this, that even when you don't get what you want, even when you don't get the toy that you want, even when things don't go your way, you are required to love one another. And here's what Paul says to, to the Corinthian church. You're not kids anymore. Kids have to be taught that. And if I can kind of translate this loosely from the Greek, Paul says, you're acting like fools. You're acting like little children. You don't get what you want and you choose to act in an unloving way. And so Paul's point is that even when we disagree, even when we don't see eye to eye, we choose to love each other no matter what. And we want to be that church. We want to be that kind of family. And, and I think we are. I think we, we do a really good job at this, where unity is not always agreeing, right? You're going to get 200 people in a room and we're all going to agree? No way. It's not going to happen. So unity is not always agreeing. Unity is saying Jesus is more important and I love you no matter what. That's unity. I am not going to sacrifice the mission and purpose of this church based on my preference of fill in the blank. Jesus is more important and I love you no matter what. You disagree with me, I love you. You wanna yell at me in the hallway, I love you. Right? You, want, you, wanna, you wanna do whatever, I love you. That no matter what, no matter what happens, we love each other. And that's the type of family this is. And some of you come from a church where that did not happen. And on behalf of the church, let me just say I'm sorry about that, even though it wasn't my church. Um, but some of you come from that background where it's like things got a little dicey, there was a disagreement, and all of a sudden people are acting like three-year-olds. Yelling at, yelling at each other, cursing at each other, doing all sorts of foolishness. And Paul says, you're not a child anymore. Stop acting like it. That's essentially, read 1 Corinthians 13. That is essentially what he says. You're not a child. 
You are an adult follower of Jesus. And so we choose to love no matter what. And if you've been around here, you know that I get, I'm being passionate about this because I'm passionate about this. Because I grew up in a church where a deacon fight turned into a fist fight. Right? A deacon argument turned into a fist fight, and that church was destroyed by it. And so th- this, is, this beats true to my heart. This is my childhood growing up, is seeing an elder and a deacon board meeting turn into a brouhaha. Right? And it's like, no, no, stop acting like children. Children bite when they don't get what they want. Children scream when they don't get what they want. Children say, I hate you when they don't get they, what, what they want, when they don't get what they want. You're not a child. I'm not a child. We are adults in a relationship with Jesus. We choose to love no matter what. All right, we're all good? <laughs> Rant done, all right? So, uh, rant done, all right? We are journeying together. That we embrace the journey. That everyone has a different place in the journey, and that is okay. That some people have been following Jesus for 50 years, some people have been following him for five months, and that is okay. Everyone has a different journey, everyone's at a different place on a journey, and we, I think we are uniquely positioned for this part of our vision, which is why it's in the statement, because we are a multi-generational church. Now that's not to say just because someone's 60, they've been following Jesus for 60 years, or, or just because someone's 20, they've only been following for six months, right? That math doesn't always work out that way, but, we ha- you, get, but you get my point. We have people all over the place on the journey, and, and we are a multi-generational church, uniquely equipped to journey together. But here's what I want to tell you. For multi-generational ministry to work, a church needs three things. And I think these three things are important. It needs patience. That it is easy for our older folks that are further ahead to feel impatient with younger folks that, that they just want everything to change. It is easy for our youngers to feel frustrated with our olders because they believe they're rigid and don't want to change at all. But for the generations to work and for us to journey together, we must strive toward patience with each other that we don't see the world the same way. If you're 80 or 70, you do not see the world the same way as someone who's 30. We see the world in different ways. We have been shaped by different life events and by different media events, and that's okay. We are patient with each other, and we don't make assumptions about each other. So we're patient. the first thing a church needs is patience. The second thing a church needs is grace. That when the generations journey together, there's got to be a lot of grace because things might be said because we come from different backgrounds, because we uh, have um, uh, different mindsets in our generations, things are often said in a multi-generational church that are misunderstood and that are uh, construed in a certain way. And so feelings uh, might get hurt, bad feelings might happen, and so a church that is multi-generational must be steeped in grace so that we are quick to forgive one another when we have those incidents. And then humility. Humility is a mindset that says we wanna learn from each other. That, uh, that it's the 80 year old that says, I've been following after Jesus for 60 years, but I wanna learn from the 30 year old because they have so much passion and so much excitement. I wanna learn from them. 
And it is humility that causes the 30-year-old to say, I've only been following after Jesus for a couple years. Look at this person who's been following after him for 60 years. And maybe they lost a child or they lost a job at some point. They went through all of these hard things. I want to learn from them about what it looks like to stay the course. And a church that is multi-generational must have a sense of humility, uh, that we are going to learn from each other and, and we, we, we are going to journey together in this way. So we need patience, grace, and humility. And as we thought about what is this journey that we're on, we are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. As we thought about this journey, we came up with these six things, uh, which the rest of the series will be about. Um, that what, what, are we, what are we journeying toward? What are we about? We want to be a church that journeys toward evangelism. What that means is that we want to become comfortable making that invitation. We want to become comfortable sharing Jesus with the neighbor. We want to become comfortable serving those around. We want to become comfortable sharing our faith story. Right? We want to uh, journey toward worship. Worship is just a church way of saying that our lives are all about giving glory to God. And, so we, and if you stay around here for any length of time, you'll quickly realize that's a theme here, that our lives won't make sense until we understand that we are all for the glory of God. So we want to be on that journey. We want to be on the relationship journey where we are connecting with each other and we are treating each other kindly and we are, we are growing in our relationships with each other. We wanna be on the generosity journey where our lives and our time are, are becoming increasingly generous. We wanna be on the maturity journey. So we're not like the apostle Paul describes that, man, you're acting like children and you're adults. We don't wanna be that way. We wanna be growing in our faith and we wanna be on the ministry journey where we are pouring our lives out toward other people. We are serving other people uh, in, in the church family. That's the journey that we're on. And the net result is the end of that statement. To be more like Jesus. This is what it looks like to be more like Jesus. Jesus embodied all of these things. So we are a growing family, journeying together to be more like Jesus. My uh, favorite verse for years and years was in the book of Job. Uh, and it was, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, we, I shall come forth as gold. I, as I've gotten into my adult years, I have a new favorite verse. It is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let me put it on the screen for you. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. I love that verse because it describes something that just makes my heart beat faster. And it is the idea of life, lives that are changed. And it tells us exactly how it happens, that we contemplate the Lord's glory. And as we contemplate the Lord, as we contemplate Jesus, as we draw, as we draw close to him, the spirit invades us and begins to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And this is good news because Jesus is awesome. I could use some work. Jesus is awesome, right? And so as I'm contemplating his awesomeness, very loose translation, but as I'm contemplating his awesomeness, his spirit begins to invade me and begins to transform me into the likeness of Jesus. So I naturally am on an evangelism journey, a worship journey, a relationship journey, a generosity journey, a maturity journey, and a ministry journey because I'm being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, so if you ever want to know, man, how I want my life to change, I want to be more generous, right? I, I want to be more uh, evangelical. I want to be more comfortable sharing with my neighbors. I want to be better connected to people and be a better friend. I want these things. 
Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, Paul would say, contemplate the Lord and watch the Spirit come in and invade your life and begin to transform you from the inside out. And this is the goal of our church, is that every person that comes here, that we would open up his word, we would point people to Jesus, and the Spirit would do what the Spirit does. That the Spirit would invade your life and mine and begin to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. That's what the mission statement's really all about, is life change. I wanna see my life changed, I wanna see yours changed. I wanna see the Spirit do his work in this place. That excites me. Does it excite you? Very soft response. Does it excite you, right? Seeing people's lives changed through the work of the Spirit. Our job is to contemplate Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we are gonna enter into a time right now of contemplation through this uh, ancient sacrament called communion that just reminds us of his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And Lord, I just wanna pray right now as followers of yours, as we contemplate you right now, as we contemplate your kindness, your generosity, your love for us, that your spirit, even right now, would enter in and begin to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. We thank you so much for his grace. We thank you so much for his spirit. May we be like him, because he's fantastic. May we be like him more and more each day. It is in his name that we pray, amen.